Chapter Twenty Four of Gossip in the First Decade of Victoria's Reign by John Ashton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: Murder by Towel, Curious Story, King William the Fourth Statue, Visits by the Queen, a Testimonial to Rowland Hill, Breaking the Portland Vase, Sad End of William Austin, Tale of Van Amburgh Stud, Hungerford Suspension Bridge, Accident at Yarmouth an excise case beginning of the railway mania sailing of sir j franklin this year begins badly with a murder which i should not chronicle were it not that it was the first case in which the electric telegraph lent its services for the detection of a crime a man named john towel a member of the society of friends and who occupied a decent position in life poisoned a poor woman at salt hill a quaker who seemed much confused had been met close by her house and he went by train from slough to paddington suspicion being aroused a message was sent from slough giving a description of him and asking that he should be shadowed on his arrival this was done and next day he was arrested he was tried found guilty and duly executed the case at the time created an immense sensation mainly because the villain was a member of the society of friends apropos of this the observer on twenty three march is responsible for the following the murder towel the following strange statement has been made by a person who is a quaker living near berkhamstead and who is acquainted with towel about a year ago the stillness and decorum of the quakers meeting at berkhamstead at which towel attended was disturbed by one of the male members who suddenly rose from his seat and exclaimed with frantic earnestness that there was then present a person who was at that very moment meditating a most fearful crime his conviction was so strong that he passionately besought this individual whoever he might be to reflect upon the wickedness of his intention and to implore his maker's pardon for his murderous thoughts as may be imagined the friends were thrown into great consternation by this strange and impetuous appeal and the meeting broke up in alarm and confusion tao was present at the time early in january the statue of king william the fourth by samuel nixon was placed on its pedestal fronting london bridge but as far as i know there was no public ceremony at its inauguration for the times of one february says that workmen are now actively employed in cleansing down the colossal figure of king william the fourth preparatory to the hoarding being removed and the statue thrown open to the view of the public the base will present a very novel and pleasing appearance it being ornamented with numerous naval trophies the four cross footpaths leading to the figure will be lighted by four gas lamps on massive granite pillars in a few days the whole work will be completed when it will be inspected by her majesty the queen dowager and his royal highness prince albert those illustrious personages having intimated their desire to view it when finished on fifteen january the queen paid a visit to the duke of buckingham at stowe and the magnificence of her reception had much to do with the financial collapse of the too generous duke on leaving stowe she went to strathfield's eye to stay with the duke of wellington it was on this occasion that the old duke gave a lesson to the gentlemen of the press which the interviewers of our times might well take to heart 
Field Marshal of the Duke of Wellington presents his compliments to Mr. Blank and begs to say he does not see what his house at Strathfield's eye has to do with the public press. On 21 January, a national testimonial was presented to Rowland Hill for his labours in connection with the introduction of the Penny Post, and Mr. Larpent, the chairman of the City of London Mercantile Committee on Postage, handed him a cheque for £10,000, which handsome sum had been raised by a public subscription which was not confined to the mercantile community alone, persons of every rank and of both sexes contributing amounts varying from large sums to a few pence. Just before the closing of the British Museum at 4 p.m. on 7 February, a crash was heard, and the famous Barberini, or Portland vase, was found in pieces on the floor. A man named Lloyd, in a fit of delirium produced by drink, had smashed it out of pure wantonness. The vase was valued at a thousand pounds by the museum authorities, but of course that sum was purely nominal, as the vase was unique. It was deposited in the British Museum in the year 1810 by the Duke of Portland, and was considered as his property, hence the name the Portland Vase. It was found about the middle of the 16th century, about two and a half miles from Rome, on the road leading from Frascati. At the time of its discovery, it was enclosed in a marble sarcophagus within a sepulchral chamber under the mount called Monte di Grano. The material of which it is made is glass, the body being of a beautiful transparent dark blue, enriched with figures in relief of opaque white glass. For more than two centuries, it was the principal object of admiration in the Barberini Palace. It came into the possession of Sir William Hamilton, from whom it was purchased by the Duchess of Portland. On 11 February, the delinquent was brought before Mr. Jardine at Bow Street, and the museum authorities, electing to prosecute him for the minor offence of breaking the glass case, which held the vase, and which was under the value of five pounds, he was convicted of that offence and sentenced to pay three pounds or two months hard labour in the house of correction he could not pay and was committed to prison in default but on thirteen february some one paid the money and the man was released an employé of the british museum named doubleday undertook and effected the restoration of the vase and it may now be seen in the gold room of the british museum but alas all the king's horses and all the king's men can never make it as it was wedgwood feebly reproduced it in ceramic ware copies of which are now worth two hundred pounds each and one copy if not more was made in silver i come across a curious paragraph in the morning post of march thirteen william austin this person whose name must be familiar to all who have had any acquaintance with the history of the parliamentary proceedings in the case of the late queen caroline or the eventful life of that unhappy princess arrived in london last week from milan where he has been residing for several years for the most part in a state of fatuity the inmate of a lunatic asylum we understand that he has been removed to this country through the intervention of the british government under an authority from the lord chancellor in whose care his person and some considerable property left to him by the late queen have been placed by certain proceedings on the part of his relations 
he was conveyed hither from milan under the charge of a medical and two other attendants and immediately on his arrival was visited by two london physicians who after an interview with him of some duration at the hotel where he stopped signed the necessary certificate for his detention in a private asylum where he now remains austin is a very good-looking man apparently about forty years of age and though beyond doubt mentally enfeebled has no betrayal of such imbecility in the expression of his face he has been in his present unfortunate condition since the year eighteen thirty and for a great part of that time he has maintained an immovable taciturnity no ingenuity has been able to extract a syllable from him he answers no questions nor asks any enters into no conversation and even during the whole journey from milan to london he never spoke a word to his attendants or any one else neither could the medical gentlemen who waited upon him here induce him to reply to any of their inquiries and no doubt this fact of itself formed no inconsiderable ingredient in the judgment at which they arrived the unhappy man is extremely docile has no disposition to violence and readily understands and obeys any signs made to him van amberg's stud lions etc were sold at manchester on seventeen march and fetched high prices a fine black-maned lion three hundred and fifty pounds another six years old three hundred and ten pounds two lion cubs eight months old male and female sold the one for twelve pounds ten shillings the other for thirty-five pounds an elephant realized seven hundred and fifty pounds and a giraffe four hundred pounds hungerford suspension bridge the first of its kind over the thames was opened on one may and although a toll was demanded it was calculated that before dusk some twenty-five thousand persons had crossed from one side of the thames to the other it was taken down in july eighteen sixty two to make room for the charing cross railway bridge it was transferred to clifton and there opened on eight december eighteen sixty four and it now spans the avon on the next day two may a terrible accident occurred at the suspension bridge at great yarmouth a clown was to emulate barry's folly and cross the river in a washing-tub drawn by geese and thousands of people assembled to see him of whom a great number accounts vary from three hundred to six hundred containing very many children were on the bridge some of the suspension rods snapped and the crowd fell into the water every assistance was rendered but the number of recovered dead bodies nearly all children or young persons was seventy-seven and many are supposed to have been swept away by the current on the second of may the famous excise trial at bar i e before twelve judges the attorney-general versus smith came to an end after lasting eight days mr george smith was a distiller in a large way of business at whitechapel and the premises of his brother james who was a rectifier adjoined his the law forbids the junction of the businesses of distilling and rectifying or any communication between premises carrying on such businesses and in this case it was presumed that all spirit would be conveyed from one to the other by means of the highway 
but the contention of the prosecution was that the excise officers finding a great deficiency in the spirits ostensibly produced as compared with the wash had detected holes in a large receiver and found moreover that they could themselves convey spirits from the distillery to the rectifying house through pipes underground which were mixed up with those which supplied water and so escaped detection this the defendants denied and brought forward evidence that the pipes were obsolete and disused in the end the verdict of the jury was we find for the crown but we are anxious to express our opinion that there has not been any evidence adduced before us which shows that the pipe has been fraudulently used by the defendant the amount of damages claimed by the crown was a hundred and fifty thousand pounds but by agreement this was reduced to seventy six thousand pounds and finally after an appeal from mr smith the government were content with a check for ten thousand pounds about this time commenced what is well termed the railway mania or rather public attention was particularly called to it as it was becoming a crying scandal so much so that it attracted the notice of the legislature and if we look at a return to the order of the honourable the house of commons dated eighth april eighteen forty five for an alphabetical list of the names descriptions and places of abode of all persons subscribing to the amount of two thousand pounds and upwards to any railway subscription contract deposited in the private bill office during the present session of parliament we shall see that amongst the names will be found many of the leading nobility large manufacturing firms names well known in commerce and literature mingled together in a most heterogeneous manner the same column shows a combination of peers and printers vicars and vice-admirals spinsters and half-pay officers members of parliament and special pleaders professors and cotton spinners gentlemen's cooks and k c s attorneys clerks and college scouts waiters at lloyd's relieving officers and excise men editors and engineers barristers and butchers catholic priests and coachmen dairymen and dyers braziers bankers beer-sellers and butlers domestic servants footmen and mail-guards and almost every calling under the sun and these it must be remembered were subscribers for two thousand pounds and upwards those who put down their names for less were supposed to be holders of twenty one thousand three hundred and eighty six pounds six shillings four pence in stock of course punch could not overlook this mania for speculation and we find the following in the number for thirty one may the night was stormy and dark the town was shut up in sleep only those were abroad who were out on a lark or those who'd no beds to keep i passed through the lonely street the wind did sing and blow i could hear the policeman's feet clapping to and fro there stood a potato man in the midst of all the wet he stood with his tato can in the lonely haymarket two gents of dismal mien and dank and greasy rags came out of a shop for gin swaggering over the flags swaggering over the stones these shabby bucks did walk and i went and followed these needy ones and listened to their talk was i sober or awake could i believe my ears those dismal beggars spake of nothing but railroad shares i wondered more and more says one good friend of mine how many shares have you wrote for in the diddlesex junction line i wrote for twenty says jim but they wouldn't give me one 
his comrade straight rebuked him for the folly he had done o jim you are unawares of the ways of this bad town i always write for five hundred shares and then they put me down and yet you got no shares said jim for all your boast i would ha wrote says jack but where was the penny to pay the post i lost for i couldn't pay that first instalment up but here's tater smoking hot i say let's stop my boy and sup and at this simple feast the while they did regale i drew each ragged capitalist down on my left thumb nail their talk did me perplex all night i tumbled and tossed and i thought of railroad specs and how money was won and lost bless railroads everywhere i said and the world's advanced bless every railroad share in italy ireland france for never a beggar need now despair and every rogue has a chance and yet another extract who does not remember thackeray's diary of c james de la pluche esq but few know how the idea was started it was by w m t himself in punch on august second a lucky speculator considerable sensation has been excited in the upper and lower circles in the west end by a startling piece of good fortune which has befallen james plush esq lately footman in a respected family in berkeley square one day last week mr james waited upon his master who is a banker in the city and after a little blushing and hesitation said he had saved a little money in service and was anxious to retire and invest his savings to advantage his master we believe we may mention without offending delicacy the well-known name of sir george flimsy of the firm of flimsy diddler and flash smilingly asked mr james what was the amount of his savings wondering considerably how out of an income of thirty guineas the main part of which he spent in bouquets silk stockings and perfumery mr plush could have managed to lay by anything mr plush with some hesitation said he had been speculating in railroads and stated his winnings to have been thirty thousand pounds he had commenced his speculations with twenty borrowed from a fellow-servant he had dated his letters from the house in berkeley square and humbly begged pardon of his master for not having instructed the railway secretaries who answered the applications to apply at the area bell sir george who was at breakfast instantly arose and shook mr p by the hand lady flimsy begged him to be seated and partake of the breakfast which he had laid on the table and has subsequently invited him to her grand déjeuner at richmond where it was observed that miss emily flimsy her beautiful and accomplished seventh daughter paid the lucky gentleman marked attention we hear it stated that mr p is of very ancient family hugo de la pluche came over with the conqueror and the new brougham which he has started bears the ancient coat of his race he has taken apartments at the albany and is a director of thirty-three railroads he purposes to stand for parliament at the next general election on decidedly conservative principles which have always been the politics of his family report says that even in his humble capacity miss emily flimsy had remarked his high demeanour well none but the brave say we deserve the fair this we may call the commencement of the mania in their proper places will be noticed its culmination and collapse 
On 18 May sailed from Grenite the two Arctic discovery ships, the Erebus and Terror, under the command of Sir John Franklin, whose instructions were to push to the westward without loss of time in the latitude of about seventy-four and a quarter degrees till you have reached the longitude of that portion of land on which Cape Walker is situated, or about ninety-eight degrees west. From that point we desire that every effort be used to endeavour to penetrate to the southward and westward in a course as direct towards Bering Straits as the position and strength of the ice, or the existence of land, at present unknown, may admit. We direct you to this particular part of the Polar Sea as affording the best prospect of accomplishing the passage to the Pacific. They were provisioned for three years, but when, in 1850, Captain Omene discovered on Beachy Island traces of the expedition having spent their first winter there. He found large stacks of preserved meat canisters, which there is little doubt contained putrid filth and had been condemned by survey. As nothing was heard of the expedition, another was organized in 1847 to start for search and relief from Hudson's Bay and indeed no one can say that the two exploring vessels were forgotten for from that date till eighteen fifty seven thirty-nine different expeditions were sent to look after them the first to find traces of them was that of captain omenay in eighteen fifty then in april eighteen fifty four dr ray heard from the natives of a party of white men having been seen four winters previously and that their bodies had afterwards been seen from these Eskimo, Ray obtained some silver spoons and other small articles which left no doubt but that they had belonged to the ill-fated expedition. But it was the Fox yacht, which was fitted out by Lady Franklin and commanded by Captain McClintock, which settled the question of their fate. Early in 1859, a boat, a few skeletons, chronometers, clothing, instruments, watches, plate, books, etc., were discovered, and towards the end of May a written paper was found, which gave news of them up to 24 April 1848, and said that Sir John Franklin died on 11 June 1847, and the total losses by death in the expedition has been to this date nine officers and fifteen men. We start on tomorrow, 26th, for Back's Fish River. From the Eskimo was learned how one of the ships sunk in deep water, and the other was wrecked, after which they all perished miserably, some falling down and dying as they walked, as an old woman told Captain McClintock. End of chapter 24